0: Welcome back to Out Loud, the Selective Mutism Podcast. This is Anne.
1: And this is Chelsea. Today we're going to be reviewing an article about the Social Communication Anxiety Treatment, or the SCAT, for children and families with selective mutism. Uh, This article was published in Clinical Child
0: Psychology and Psychiatry, and that was published in 2016. So it looks like Evelyn Klein, Sharon Armstrong, Katherine uh, Skira and Janice Gordon were the authors.
1: So okay. this article is just looking at the effectiveness of the social communication anxiety treatment. I'll just call it the SCAT from now on. Mm-hmm. I think that's easier. And um, S,
0: oh, sorry, go ahead.
1: Oh, I was going to say probably the same thing you were going to say. The SCAT was developed by Eliza Schippenbloom.
0: She's a physician who has more than 17 years' experience and she has treated more than 5,000 children with SM. Chelsea's father and I did go to a a conference that was hosted just outside of Boston at a hotel. We spent the day at a conference that uh, Dr. Shippen-Bloom was presenting. We attended the conference. I think I found it online. We attended. It was very beneficial. Um, I stayed after and went up and spoke to her about you. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, I don't say life, you know, life changing, but it was um, like
1: the first time you met people who understood. Right, like other parents
0: and actually a physician and to know that there was treatment and a plan that, um, that we could do mm-hmm. to help you. Let me just start by saying this study, the paper that we are reviewing, they took 40 children and they were aged in years from five years of age to 12 years of age.
1: All previously diagnosed with selective mutism?
0: They were all previously diagnosed by their um, psychologist and then that was validated. Mm-hmm. Um, And they found that after nine weeks of treatment, children showed significant gains in speaking frequency um, on all 17 items of the Selective Mutism Questionnaire, or the SMQ. And this is the first time that I'm being made aware of an SMQ. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know when that was developed. It
1: looks like 2008, based on this. Okay, because we had never heard of that. Right,
0: it came after you.
1: We actually have the SMQ that we could look at um, it's just a Likert scale that p- parents are asked questions about different settings um, and where how their child responds to others basically in those settings so in school home and public
0: right and it's supposed to be a standardized way a standardized way to measure the severity of selective mutism in this study It says, rather than being overwhelmed by anxious distress and therefore being unable to produce words, SM may be an effective avoidance strategy by which to decrease emotional and physiological
1: distress. Yeah, I found that interesting because people always say it's not that you are so anxious that you couldn't think of the words. It's often you have the words, but you can't get them out. Mm -hmm. And that's basically what they're saying.
0: Yeah, I thought that was kind of an interesting way to say that.
1: So the main I have the main goal of the SCAT is to reduce the overall anxiety of a child about speaking. Mm-hmm. So they do that by using a therapy technique where they are very nonchalant and there's no pressure to speak in the beginning. Yep. Mm-hmm. They're just increasing the comfort. And they're not even pressured to look at the ch- therapist initially. It's just based on developing comfort and building rapport. They also focus on reducing the rescuing behavior of parents. So you're basically enabling the children to continue to avoid social interaction.
0: And I thought this was really important because I think sometimes we think it's just a go to therapy, you know, it's a quick fix. But they said the therapies generally will take many weeks, meaning 16 to 30 weeks.
1: You're talking about cognitive behavioral therapies?
0: Yep. All previous therapies that have been studied. Um, that they generally take 16 to 30 weeks. They spend many months or even years a long time. for treatment to be successful. Exactly. So I think the thing with this study, with the SCAT, they're saying that it's a much quicker mm-hmm. method to getting results. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah.
1: And that's important because you want the quickest solution, I would say.
0: Yeah, and I think it's important, too, just to just sort of put out there to parents that, right, it can take years. This is a, a commitment to help your child that is going to take probably years mm-hmm. to get where you want to be.
1: And you don't just take them to therapy. You have to incorporate it at home, which is a big part of the SCAT. They give homework, and you're expected to generalize the goals from therapy into your home in public settings.
0: Mm-hmm. So it does say that they became interested. The reason that they became interested in the SCAT was because of its p- potential for delivering therapy in a shorter time frame compared to prior therapies. So from, I think what we're talking months and months and years to, I think they're saying after three sessions um, using the SCAT therapy, in this study, they had positive results. In this study, they addressed four questions. Do children speak to more people in more settings after SCAT therapy? They looked at what are some factors that predict therapeutic outcomes? They looked at do children show less anxiety and withdrawal after receiving SCAT therapy? And do children improve in their language, comprehension, and expression after SCAT therapy? So those are the um, items that they looked at and measured. There were 40 kids in the study. It was a grant-funded study. The evaluations and treatments were provided free of charge to the families. The inclusion criteria to be in the study is that you had to be fluent in English. You had to have a normal vocabulary. You had to be able to follow instructions. And if the kids um, were receiving any other therapies or medications, um, they could not be in the study. And they also had to be living um, no more than 100 miles from the practice Um, The kids in this study, the ages were generally um, six or seven years of age. And the average age of onset for selective mutism for the children in this study was about two and a half to three years of age. And most of the kids in this study had selective mutism then for about just below four years they'd been diagnosed.
1: So you're probably wondering, what is the SCAT? The SCAT has a main goal of reducing the children's anxiety about speaking therapists are very nonchalant with the children they don't pressure them to speak they're not pressuring them to even look at the therapist so another goal of SCAT is to reduce enabling behavior of parents right because children with selective mutism are often saved from social situations Mm -hmm. where parents will answer for them so Mm -hmm. that is discouraged and I did that for you I know of course well that's what maintains it They also use a transfer of control technique, which basically means they're carrying over therapy from the therapy room to home and public places. So therapists are um, teaching parents how to interact with their kids and meet goals outside of therapy.
0: Right, such as letting them order at a restaurant, Mm -hmm. um, talking with friends and family.
1: And then they're also teaching parents how to implement Charting progress, which I would assume is like sticker chart style for kids. And then they also use behavioral and cognitive strategies, um, such as the SM social communication comfort scale. So they call this the bridge. You've probably heard of it referenced. It's like the social communication bridge. So that just means they're identifying where the child is starting from. So they're looking at their verbalization levels. So there's four different stages that the child can start at. The stage zero means they're not speaking or initiating at all, and they appear frozen. Stage one is that the child communicates using nonverbal, which is just non-spoken communication, so they can point or nod, but they're not necessarily making um, vocalizations. Or writing. I think writing comes
0: in under that, too.
1: Yep. And then, or even, can I say, even making other noises that does count it says non-speech noises count Mm -hmm. and then stage two is when the child is using some verbal communication and responding or initiating sounds or using some very like short Mm -hmm. vocalizations or whispering is included with that and then stage three is the child communicating using speaking and responding and initiating using words in their typical it says typical voice um from... and we, haven't, we
0: haven't talked about that but a lot of sm kids make up i don't want to say makeup but a lot of sm kids have we used to call yours your baby voice
1: i don't know if that's common though i haven't really heard other people talk about that
0: huh Is that... I, i've seen some of it in some of the chat rooms um not your real voice yeah. but okay so they mention that here
1: uh-huh so, they start at the level that the child is at and then they gradually increase up the communication bridge.
0: So, in this study, um, the therapeutic sessions took place in a playroom, um, you know, with toys, and they had hidden cameras and video recording sessions. Um, the sessions were held every three weeks uh, with the SMQ data recorded beforehand each visit, and that was the scale that. The questions that you had yeah
1: do you want to yeah why don't we just talk
0: about what what's on that so So the
1: SMQ SMQ is just the selective mutism questionnaire and it's just a Likert scale so they rate the severity of basically selective mutism in different settings so an example at school would be when appropriate my child talks to most peers at school and you would rate it always often seldom or never and then they have similar questions for home so one of the questions for home is, when appropriate, my child talks to family members while in unfamiliar places. Again, you would read it always, often, seldom or never. And then they also ask you in social situations outside of school. An example would be, when appropriate, my child speaks with family, friends who she doesn't know. So they also want to know if it, how it's interfering with their life. So they would ask questions like, how often does not talking interfere with school for your child? And you would rate it as not at all slightly, moderately, or extremely. And that just helps them determine how um, severe Uh their selective mutism is. So it's a
0: questionnaire that the parents fill out. Right. Okay. I'm not sure if I already said this or not. The sessions were every three weeks, and the SMQ data was recorded immediately before each session. As part of the session, the parents... Um were educated about SM and then they homework was given to the parents um, between each session.
1: yeah, they I think they also gauged like how the child felt during each session. so they would rate how scary is it on a scale so they could kind of gauge the child's anxiety.
0: And for non uh, for the younger kids they had like a happy face to a sad face mm-hmm. and that's how the children rated it. Um, So before the session, it says pre-session, so before the session even started, the therapist would greet the family, it says, you know, in a friendly way, not paying really any attention to the child to help reduce the anxiety of the child. To increase comfort and trust, the therapist would let the parents and the child know that she had helped many children before. Um, She also avoided the term talking, she wouldn't say the word talk, to reduce any perceived pressure by the child. And then as the child sort of began to warm up a little bit, um, becoming more comfortable, it says signs of that would be increased eye contact or having more relaxed posture, then the therapist would separate the child from the parents and transition into the therapy room.
1: Yeah, when I read that, it seems like they don't give you a lot of um, details there, and it makes me nervous a little bit because I feel like if I was in that situation, I would be afraid to leave my parents, and it's very different from the fading in and out that we always hear about, where you are initially going in with your parents and they're gradually faded out of the environment.
0: Right, and that's the whole thing about this SCAT therapy, it's very quick.
1: That's Yeah, it makes sense that they're trying to be quick, but I could see how that could be hard, Mm -hmm. and it might take longer for certain children.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, So then the paper went on to talk about the first session, it talks about the first three sessions Mm -hmm. and kind of like how they handle each session.
1: So at first, they're just trying to build comfort and rapport. They assess their level on the bridge, like we talked about. Right. So they determine where your kid is starting at, kind Mm -hmm. of like their baseline level.
0: Help the child have a sense of control over their anxiety um, by allowing the child to rate um, how they felt Mm -hmm. about different speaking activities, and that's what you were saying about the how scary
1: is it scale. Right. The, The therapist is mirroring the child's behavior, so they're saying if the child is acting like very quiet and slow the therapist is imitating this
0: i thought that was a good tip actually
1: i don't know what why do you think it's helpful
0: well because i think it makes the child feel comfortable
1: maybe i think it has to be done in a way that you don't feel like you're being copied or something mm, yeah well again, i guess nonchalant, i interpret right? it i interpreted it differently i thought it's like
0: Well, selective mutism kids are very smart.
1: They are, and they know what's going on. Yeah, they're very in They catch on to what you're doing. They're always trying to figure out what you're trying to do. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. So it says, right, for children that are nonverbal, then the treatment just includes really subtle, fun ways of making sounds, blending them into words. And this is known as the ritual sound approach, or RSA. So if the child spoke to a parent in front of the therapist, even if it was a little whisper. Um, the therapist would acknowledge what the child said, not head-on, but kind of by making comments about what the child said.
1: Without eye contact.
0: Right. So that the child knew, I heard you, even though you're not, she wouldn't speak directly, she or he wouldn't speak directly to the child.
1: So at the end of the first session, the families were basically given homework, which were usually in the form of games, and then they would kind of chart those so that they were tracking their compliance basically.
0: Right, so that's pretty much the first session.
1: So I find the ritual sound approach or RSA kind of confusing, but they go more into it in session two. Right. So okay. that it is basically producing sounds or like phonemes, I can't say it, phonemes. So it starts with like easy ones, so you're just doing like one syllable consonants, I guess. Right, so it said that even for,
0: like, what was it, for yes and no, you could do a Y sound or an N
1: sound. And then it gradually, once they're doing that consistently, it moves up to consonant, vowel, consonant, so that would be, like, actual words, like, short words, like, ball, cat, I don't know. I find it confusing, but I feel like I'd have to see it to know what they're talking about. I should have watched a video or something. But they're using props and toys to get kids to make sounds so they start with like they use an example of blowing bubbles and, or blowing a feather across the table so that you have to make like a sound when you're blowing and you're also making like a puff sound when you pop your cheeks mm-hmm. so they're just like doing playful ways where the child has to make some kind of sound
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah so that, i thought that was kind of neat actually yeah And then they kind of move towards like playing games and using um, yes and no. And they're asking questions where. Have answers that
0: are one single word. Yeah. Like what is your favorite color? So this is already in the second session.
1: Right. So they're moving pretty quick. So in this session, they also do some like role playing and they go over common questions and they use scripts so that children feel more prepared for like social encounters and I would I would assume examples of that would be like what's your name and you answer your name like or how are you good like you just have a response ready
0: and it also talks about in the second session they've already um, been in touch with the school it says usually the teacher Mm -hmm. is involved in school a key worker usually the teacher would help children sort of start a little group where they have a pre-assigned child meet the SM child as a designated spot And then the two child have a pre-planned activity um, that they participate in. It's at their vocalization level on the bridge that they're at, whatever the activity is going to be that they're assigned. So whether it's just making noises or whatever, at that point they already match them up with the child at school to do that activity in the school setting. And then each week they it doesn't say actually each week, but they gradually invite additional children.
1: So in session three, the school staff have all been educated basically about selective mutism and how to interact with a, with a child.
0: So basically they've just contacted the school, updated them about what the child's accomplished so far, where they're at on the bridge, what level they're at. And then they have a person at the school. So it's going to be somebody that the child's already um, comfortable with. Usually probably the teacher or or could be a parent, I guess, at the school. Or their friend. Mm -hmm. So it's somebody that the the child has spoken to in front of before or has a relationship with. Um, And then that person starts the process of carrying the skills that they've learned so far into the school setting. And they have preset, rehearsed conversations or questions, Mm -hmm. and the idea of that is, um, you know, to reduce the anxiety from of the child. Yeah. Actually, we did that with you for a little bit. We had you and I had rehearsed a couple of set questions and answers. Just that you always would have in your pocket. So, like, if you were ever stuck and you had to talk to somebody, you had some Mm -hmm. pre-rehearsed phrases and things to say. So some of the conversation questions it says would be like, what is your favorite color? And that would be rehearsed with relatives or, you know, different people outside of therapy or school. Mm -hmm. And then that would slowly be increased to more complicated um, questions, rehearsed.
1: and in different settings.
0: Okay, so after the third session, the transfer of...
1: Control. Control. (laughs) Parents are basically helping... Their kids do homework which is like earning stickers or tokens for doing more challenging stressful social situations in public places or in school and I thought it was interesting that at this point
0: children are often already speaking to family in unfamiliar places store clerks food servers um, answering teachers and selected peers in school and that's okay. just after the third session of this study yeah I think that's pretty amazing. That's really
1: quick. So that basically explains how the S-CAT works and what they did in this study to evaluate its effectiveness. And now we're going to be talking about the results of the study. So they wanted to know, do children with selective mutism speak more often in, setting, in more settings after the SCAT?
0: And the answer is?
1: Yes. Okay, oh, based ahead. on the selective mutism questionnaire. Um, the scores showed significant improvement in speaking frequency after the SCAT. So they're saying that the largest gains made in social situations outside of school, such as speaking to clerks or waiters, increased from 6% to 64%, wow. which is huge. That's
0: huge. 6 to 64%? Yeah.
1: And then speaking with children they didn't know outside of school went from 6% to 30%, mm-hmm. which is, again, pretty huge. Yeah. And their ability to answer a teacher's questions or speak in class quadrupled, it says. And at home, where speaking is already more comfortable, they're saying that increases well from 36 to 70% with family, friends, and babysitters and people like that. Across all settings, it increased hugely.
0: So then the study looked at what factors predicted um, successful outcomes of the children with the selective mutism. And I think the biggest factor was parental involvement. Um, the families that had good compliance ratings at the end of therapy had better treatment outcomes. So, kind of like everything in life, the more you put in, the better results you get.
1: They also found that children with less severe symptoms of mutism had greater treatment gains.
0: One thing with this study they said was that they found the amount of time that the child had SM did not relate to the treatment outcome.
1: So they're saying, like, if they I... If a child had selective mutism for like five years it didn't make a difference compared to children who were just diagnosed with it maybe a year ago
0: and I find that interesting because usually I think the behaviors are more ingrained
1: which other studies found that it did make a difference but this particular study didn't find a difference
0: Yeah, so I wonder why oh wow. I think there was something below maybe about the age the age group of these kids or something was younger than maybe other studies had done. They also found, um, well, one of the questions was, do children with selective mutism show less anxiety and withdrawal after participating in SCAT therapy? And the results were that there was a significant decrease in anxiety and withdrawal that was measured by the parents. So when the parents Mm -hmm. were asked, there was a significant decrease in anxiety. However, ratings by the teachers did not show a significant change in anxiety. Yeah. And they were just sort of try- and trying to explain that. They were saying maybe because school is...
1: More stressful. It's the most challenging setting.
0: Correct, where the parents are seeing the kids at home right. in their most comfortable setting. They were also looking at the last... I think is this the last one. Do children with selective mutism improve in language comprehension and expression after having SCAT therapy?
1: Mm-hmm. So they said their ability to comprehend language was the same before and after treatment, which makes sense to me. And me,
0: because (laughs) in selective mutism, typically your comprehension skills are normal. Right.
1: You don't have a learning disability. I don't know. If it's straight selective mutism, you're comprehending quite well. But they did say expressive language which means like retelling stories or coming up with stories, was lower than average before and after treatment, which I think, I don't know how they measured that, but it seems like that would be hard to measure. It doesn't really speak Mm. to their ability, in my opinion.
0: I agree. Mm -hmm. So in this study, I guess the end result is... That the majority of children in the study had higher levels of speaking after receiving SCAT therapy mm-hmm. so everyone gained
1: and after only three weeks of treatment so that's really
0: quick right and it says that the trend continued upwards after therapy it said by the end of the treatment 95% of kids showed gains in speaking frequency in school or in public settings or with people with whom they had not spoken previously hmm so I mean that's huge
1: so they have, like, two big findings from the study, and one of them is that the severity of symptoms before the SCAT predicted better outcomes after the SCAT. And then they also found that, obviously, families that did their homework and showed compliance with the treatment showed greater improvement. Right, and they were just saying, you know, parent the parents being on board is such a huge...
0: Um, factor in any therapy, but especially in the SCAT, because of the transfer of control. Control, because <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a big part of the SCAT therapy. Because you're going home and you have those assignments that you're working on. Um, so if the parents aren't doing that part at home,
1: mm-hmm. it's
0: pretty hard for the kid to have success. Of course, and that's what SM is, right? It's not being able to speak in those uncomfortable environments. Mm-hmm. So. If you're not going to do the homework and the goals outside of therapy, um,
1: then you're then, not yeah. being challenged, yeah.
0: Right. How do you expect the child to get better outside of the home? Right. And you know, in questioning, um, you know, why would parents perhaps not participate or not do the homework assignments or not carry over on the transfer of control mm-hmm. step? <laughs> <laughs> you
1: know, I'm sure there's many issues,
0: right? Why
1: parents? I see this a lot in my job, which is ABA therapy, so. If families aren't on board, you're going to see that, and you see kids who work really well with their therapist, and it's not carrying over into their daily life, and it's the same with this therapy, where if parents aren't implementing it, it's not going to carry over, and that happens for a number of reasons. Like, parents are always stressed out, and they might not understand the therapy as much as the therapist, and they don't see how, like, vital it is to be implementing it in every single aspect of your life. So I think it's easy to overlook that for other issues and the family or behavioral issues. And and marital issues, marital too. Issues. I think sometimes
0: if the husband and wife or parents are not on
1: the same page, right. then you're not That's having a big consistency. One. That is a big one. The important parts of the SCAT are... You meet the child where they're at, which I always like to say. You always say that. You're finding their current level of communication. You're starting from there. You're not asking too much. You're meeting them at their baseline and gradually increasing the challenges. Yep, so the children are in their comfort level when you're starting. Right, and you're building that relationship before asking too much of them. Mm -hmm. And you're using that nonchalant approach where you're not pressuring them to speak, which is always key with selective mutism. You're charting goals and accomplishments and rewarding those achievements. And you're, a big part of the SCAD is using interactive games. And they use those to encourage like smaller group activities. And those are in all settings. Yeah. So Home, you, you therapy, public. Right. Incorporate all kinds of different people in there. And the transfer of control. It's very important to generalize the goals across settings, of course.
0: And parent involvement was a huge factor. Yeah, they really trained the parents,
1: right? And they're checking in with parents constantly. It looks like they're making sure they're staying on track with phone calls and emails and checking their charts and then motivation. Sticker charts, earning prizes. And just the motivation of having reduced anxiety, which Mm -hmm. is a huge motivator.
0: (laughs) And I think engaging the children where they have the children rate the the fear of certain activities. Yeah. So the kids are on board also.
1: And they're um, doing their sticker charts, so they're graphing, basically graphing their progress. I think those are all key factors in why it works. So I guess you know, for looking back, I mean,
0: I had heard of SCAT because Dad and I had actually gone to a presentation by Dr. Shippen Bloom when you were a toddler. But for you, uh, you know, we didn't use this approach. No, we went to a therapist and basically did what CBT. Yeah, cognitive behavior therapy. Yeah, we kind like, of and the therapy, charts therapy and all that, but we did behavioral approach. Right, we didn't do the SCAT. No. And then in reading about this later, um I guess <laughs> looking at the study it's kind of changed my mind actually. Yeah.
1: At first, when you first hear about it and they're talking about making sounds and starting with sounds, I just feel like I would be uncomfortable with that and it's almost um it's it seems almost like baby, baby talk, or baby, yeah. you starting with it the sound. it seems like you're starting as a baby, when you can, you can talk. You can actually and you talk. don't have a speech delay, and it just seems silly to start with making sounds, but I understand
0: But that's what that. you're doing out of the home, so yeah. they are meeting you at your level, but it's kind of a different concept, I think. Right. But after reading the article, I actually can see, I mean, I'm actually kind of impressed by this, and I can see why it could work.
1: But I think it has a lot in common with other therapies that are also effective. It does, mm-hmm. and I think a, just the key to selective mutism treatment is making sure the child's comfortable, increasing demands very gradually, mm-hmm. and then reinforcing their mm-hmm. goals, which right. I think more than one therapy does that.
0: Right, different ways to do it. So this was this was interesting. It was interesting to look at the um, article look at a new, different perspective, um, that we weren't really familiar with.
1: Yeah, I've always heard of it, and I never really understood what it was beyond the (laughs) phonemes. Making sounds with your mouth. (laughs) Yes.
0: (laughs) I think it might be a good idea, too, if you could, um, post the SMQ, the parent questionnaire, somewhere, maybe.
1: I can put it in the show notes so that you can click a link and you can look at the whole questionnaire. Okay. Could we maybe put it on Facebook? Would that be legit or is that not? I think you can. I don't know.
0: Maybe we could actually put a link to the actual article, too, if people yeah, want to read it for definitely. themselves. Okay, so this was interesting. Yeah. I'm glad that we did do this. I just happened to come across this article and um, thought it was really interesting because it was the YesCat model. Um, so I'm glad that we actually read it and I actually did learn from it and it kind of changed my opinion about the YesCat.
1: Yeah. It'd be
0: interesting to know how many of our listeners have gone to Dr. Ship mm-hmm. and done this therapy. I and...
1: don't know like how accessible this therapy is either. Like I wonder how I don't know how common it is to find a treatment. Well, I know Dr. Eliza
0: and Bloom developed this herself, the SCAT. I
1: know, but say like someone in like Alabama is looking for the to do this treatment, like do they have access to it?
0: Oh, I don't know. I think she does do some online uh, consults, yeah. and I think I did look at her website, and I think you can have the assessment. There's like, kind of like she charges a fee for each step in treatment. Okay. But you can visit her website, and um, we should post that also, we'll put maybe that in the notes I'll too.
1: I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of Out Loud, the Selective Mutism Podcast. Let us know if you enjoyed it, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Okay. Thanks for listening.
0: Join us next time for Out Loud, the Selective Mutism Podcast.